0: Lesson 18 tonight, my prayer is that it's stretch your noggin. Everybody say stretch the noggin. Uh, I told Pastor Phil as I was prepping it today that I said, man, it's so in my heart that I hope I can get what's in my heart out in a very practical way. It always challenges me that I will be able to communicate what's in my head in a very practical way. But what I'm going to share with you tonight is going to be a lot of scripture, if that's Okay. I want you to write it all down because I will be referring to a lot of other scriptures as well. So let's trek together. I know we do, but it is going to be a conglomeration of a lot of things thrown at you at one time. And then when we land the plane, I hope you have an aha moment. I understand what's going on. We are talking about the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, being the government of God and to not belabor the point and take up time. We've come all the way through the Old Testament, learning what the government of God is. We've landed that Jesus Christ is the head. It was the plan. He was the plan from the beginning of time. And everything about God's government is leading up to Christ. He's the head of it all. And then the whole purpose of it all we saw last week is he wants to birth a body. He wants to birth a church. And now the church becomes the governing influence on planet earth. It's my belief that if Christians ever understood the power that we have and the authority that we have, that we really could change cities and governments and nations just through understanding the power that we walk in and the power that we have because we, whether we understand it fully or not, are the government of God on planet earth. And so my goal from lesson 18 all the way to about the second week of May is to teach us as the church how do we practically walk this thing out to where we are ruling and reigning now. As we said, I'll give you this. As we said last week, we left off right here. We left off that the challenge is not believing everything that Jesus did for us. That's pretty simple as a Christian. Oh, Jesus did this. It's learning how to reign now and learning how to reign with what he's promised us. But then there's this also coming moment when Jesus comes back. And I want to try to spend the next remaining lessons of this topic on how do we do this in the most practical way? If you'll open your Bible, I want to start here. I want to pick up this topic and this is the start as we come into the New Testament, we pick up a a conversation and it happens multiple times. It's not just once it's going to happen here and then it'll happen multiple times in Jesus's life as well, but tucked away in the teaching. Is something very profound that if we'll pull it out, it might bring better understanding. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. Now here comes his message repent of your sins and turn to God, and then and to really grab this, it's interesting, we don't have time to look at the history of it, but we're talking about a 400 plus year gap of God not even speaking. From the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew, when the story of Matthew picks up, the we would say the life of Jesus, right? When they start the life of Jesus, we're talking about a 400 year gap of nothing, Like God doesn't prophesy, there's no God showing up going, hey, y'all forget about me, nothing. It's total silence. And so when God inserts himself back into the plan, like the plan, remember, the plan has always been existing. So just because there's deathly silence doesn't mean God's like, eh, I'm gonna change my mind. So even from Malachi, the end of Malachi to the arrival of Jesus Christ is about 400 years of just silence, but just because it's silent doesn't mean the plan's not working. So the moment the timing comes, we get the introduction back into what? In the blue. Back into the kingdom. Like God's not even going to give us an opportunity to think it's never been about the kingdom. He's not going to give us an option to say, what do you think this is about? So this is what he says. Repent, John the Baptist, verse two of Matthew three, repent of your sins and turn to God for, and then the introduction for the kingdom of heaven is near. I hope I've done a good enough job getting us to the point that kingdom is the government of God. So the way I would read this is repent of your sins and turn to God for God's government is near. And what we're going to find out, it's not just near in, in timing like the time, but it's near in proximity because Jesus is the government of God. That has come now in the flesh. So all of the Old Testament, all of the rituals, all, you know, we, we looked at the, the Ark of the Covenant and all the things that are part of that system of government. Now what we understand is God himself is coming in the flesh. So the government of God shows up in the flesh. You ever want to know what God's government looks like? Look at Jesus. He's the express image of God. On planet earth, Hebrews 1, it goes on to say this in verse 3, same passage. The prophet Isaiah, so now we go from John the Baptist going, repent, the kingdom is near. Now we point backwards and we look thousand years back plus and it says the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said he is a voice shouting in the wilderness And then this is what he was shouting in the wilderness. And this is what Isaiah prophesied. Prepare the way of the Lord's coming and clear the road for him. So here's what I wrote out on that. Is that the introduction in the New Testament is that the government of God is the way that God works. It's the way that God works in time. The timing is now God shows up and says, hey, I'm going to show you how I'm going to work this thing out. So it, it's going to have to do with time, but it's also the direction that he moves as he goes through time as it relates to his plan and purpose. I'll read the whole thing again. Kingdom government is the way that God works in time. So there's no way to talk about government that we, we are not going to have to look at time. And I'm not going back to the book of Genesis teaching to teach time again, but even the kingdom of God, the millennial kingdom is is bound to time, a thousand year reign of God. So the way that God works in time and then the direction he moves through time. So as God who's eternal moves himself through time, he moves in a certain direction and that is all related to his plan and purpose. So everything we read in the Bible, God's always moving the direction. What is the direction? My plan and my purpose. Amen. Always. Even when you think it cannot, like you're down to eight people on planet earth, eight people, everybody else dead in the flood. It doesn't matter because God was working a direction for his plan and purpose. Now, without giving a test, I don't want to see if I'm a good teacher because say if you flunk, I'm a bad teacher. What's the plan and purpose? What's it always been? The local church. Remember, from the beginning of time and eternity from time, God is destined that the church would always show forth the wisdom of the plan. The local church would show forth that plan. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Because the kingdom of God is related to time and his government is related to time, everything God does, look at verse. 5 of Genesis 1. God called the light day and the darkness night and the evening passed and the morning came and it marked the first day. Genesis chapter 2, 1. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, here we go. We find it on the seventh day, God finished his work. He finished the work of creation and he rested from all of his work and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work. So what we find out about God is that God in time is working something and what he's, remember the direction, what he's working toward is what? Holy. He's working toward holy, which means this. It means to be, and here's where it gets really interesting and where I want to go tonight to hopefully inspire us. And while you write down the answer, I'll tell you what I mean by that. When you read repent, coming from John the Baptist, repent of your sins, our mind as a human naturally starts a list Just in the natural, repent of your sins and turn to God, the brain starts logically listing those sins. Well, alcohol, drugs, sex, uh, whatever, whatever denomination you're in, makeup, uh, you know, short pants, tattoos. Like our brain is logically trying to define what are the categories of sin. If I'm not careful, I will miss what is being done by repent of your sins, because I lose sight of, well, what is God trying to do in my life for his government? Here's what the word holy means. After he finished his work, he declared it as holy. It means to be consecrated, prepared. It means to be sanctified, means to be separate, but I'm picking this word as what it means as well. It's the word tabooed. We would say taboo is a bad word. It's it's something that you it know, just kind of has a dirty flair to it, but you have to understand when you talk about the work of God. So let's start with this: when you talk about God's work, His work is taboo, meaning He's not asking for your opinion of it. Taboo means it's off limits. Taboo means you don't touch it. Taboo means stay away from it. It is what it is and it's not it's not to be tampered with. This is what he'll say in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Don't add to my work. Don't subtract from my commands that I'm giving you. And I love it. It sounds like a dad that's angry, but it's just point blank true. Just obey. Now that's Deuteronomy, but what it's going to tell me is that this has been God's way. You remember I said his his way of what he's trying to do. His way is that his wisdom should never be tampered with. If you tamper with my wisdom, it will not go well for you. And my wisdom, which would be his commands... My wisdom are not up for opinions, just obey them. Now that's weird because we'd think, well, shouldn't we like hash it out? Shouldn't we like talk this out a minute? And the way it reads and the, the, what we're gonna really deep dive tonight, my opinion is that when John the Baptist shows up and says, repent, it is very much connected to this topic of something taboo that the people had touched, that he was trying to turn them back away from it because they no longer saw it as taboo and they were nowhere close to what God wanted. So here's the thought what we start knowing about God is that God's wisdom is holy. When he creates the six days and on the seventh day says, all right, I finished all my work. What we, what we know by that is I'm done speaking. I'm done using my wisdom. In other words, he didn't ask for counsel on what day he should make first. God's own wisdom established creation. He called it holy, meaning his work was taboo. Don't mess with it. And the weird thing about it is, it's been a seven day cycle since that time. We've never turned it to an eight day cycle or a nine day cycle. Don't mess with it, it's taboo. And just as if you stood up and said, you know what, I'm sick of seven days, I'm gonna add eight because I need some more time. So now I'm just gonna make a day up and I'm gonna call it hokey pokey. So you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, hokey pokey, Monday, Tuesday, people would look at you like you're an idiot. You can't just add a day because you need extra time. Now, that's what I mean by taboo. It's something you don't touch because outside it makes zero sense. You leave it alone. It's established. So when God created seven days, his wisdom was set apart. It was not to be debated. It's distinctly different than human reasoning And thus, here's why it's considered taboo, and I'll show you why in depth in a minute. The reason we would say God's wisdom is taboo is it's totally different from the way Joey will reason about life. So I'm going to have to tell you, my wisdom is holy. Don't touch it and don't mess with it. Leave it alone, because you humans are going to mess things up if you try to touch my wisdom. Now, here's where it gets interesting in Genesis 3. uh, Genesis 3.15. Or this should be 2. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch it. Verse 16 of Genesis 2. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree. And here's where we're going tonight. The tree I refuse to let you eat. Is the one that is connected to knowledge. I need you to leave it alone. I don't want you to question it. I want you to. You can can do anything. Except play with knowledge. You leave the knowledge up to me. And what were we to do with the knowledge? Just obey. Don't question my knowledge. Don't question my reasoning. You would think that would be simple. Why would a human ever even question it anyway? He's God. Why would anybody? So here's what we're going to find out. The first sin of the Bible is not alcohol. It's not It's not your in-laws. It's not an addiction. The first sin was a lust for knowledge. It was the very first sin. If I have knowledge, I can be just like God. Now, when we say... Man was created in the image of God and in his likeness he created him. The answer is check mark. Yes. But the way God made himself holy and distinctly different, because how many of you know God and humans, though we're made in his likeness, we're not God. Right? I mean, you agree with that? We're in his likeness, but we're not God. We're in his image, but we're not him. So if I'm in his likeness and in his image, then what makes him still holy, it's that he possesses the realm of all knowledge. That's the thing that separates him, meaning he wants me coming back to him to figure the plan out. He wants me coming to him to pull on his knowledge uh, and to know what he wants me to do. But this knowledge in these two words, this knowledge is not just can I build a boat knowledge, but the knowledge of what was good and the knowledge of what was evil. God said, that's what separates me from you. I'm the one that will call that. I'm the one that will determine that. You would think we would just go, that's good. I don't really want that anyway. I got everything else in the world. So powerful, this was taboo, this knowledge of good and evil that only God was going to have the command over was so taboo that if you eat it, you'll die. Yeah. Amen. So it's nothing to play with. So what we start the Bible out with, God's wisdom should never be tampered with. Never. Never. It should simply be obeyed and taken as fact and obey it and just do it. Because when you touch the wisdom of God, here's what happens. The moment a human dissects knowledge from God's wisdom, death is certain. Now, when God made that statement, you better believe Lucifer heard it. I'm going, the way I'm going to tempt them is not, and we often laugh like, like what sin could Adam do? There's no, there's no gamble. There's no casinos. There's no strip clubs. There's no churches to be mad at. There's no preachers to be mad at. There's no other women he's cheated with. There's no porn. There's no Instagram. There's no old girlfriend. Like how in God's name could they tank the world? There's nothing appealing, but the tanking of the world was the enemy knew that the thing I'm going to touch is for him to dissect God's wisdom. And the moment he does and he pulls from it, he's going to die. So we're less than one chapter later, one chapter later, the enemy shows up. Now here's what gets interesting. Jump all the way to the new Testament. I wanted to show you what's happening. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligent of the intelligent. So now, what we get when we talk about the crucifixion of Christ and he died for my sins. And then we say, he died to get me off alcohol. He died to free me from porn. Well, yes, yes, and yes, and yes. That's not your real problem. Your real problem is stated right here that the moment we ate from the tree, I'll show you this in a moment, we became wise in our own eyes. And so God flips the script and go, well, what we're going to have here is a war of wisdom. And the real problem at hand is not what is your sin, what is your biggest weakness, what is your Achilles heel. The root challenge of God's kingdom government is that there is this issue of being separated from his wisdom. And the moment I'm separated from his wisdom all hell ensues my marriage suffers my health suffers my life suffers my flesh suffers everything suffers so how is God gonna remedy the problem it didn't say Jesus came to deliver us from drinking he came to deliver us from porn he came to get you know all of the lustful things watch what he said Jesus comes As the power of God, because he's gonna do what? What is Jesus going to destroy? The wisdom of the wise. It didn't say he came to destroy porn, he came to destroy alcohol, he came to destroy smoking, drug addiction. He came to destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. In other words, everything in me that says those are the answers to my life, the alcohol, the anger, the hurt, that's what er, those are the things that fulfill this void in me. But the thing that fulfills the void is the wisdom of God. So this becomes the battle. The battle is not for your fleshly intents. The battle is that humans had given the middle finger to the wisdom of God and we tried to live it without him. Now, when we do that, it doesn't mean we can't be smart, go to the moon, fly around in the orbit, whatever. It doesn't mean we can't be smart. It means that we've we've unplugged ourselves from God's life. Here's what it goes deeper, 1 Corinthians 1 20. So where does this leave? And now he pulls out all the smart people. Where does it leave the philosophers, the scholars? And the world's brilliant debaters, meaning that there's still really smart people in the world and all these smart people, the philosophers, scholars and debaters, they can get you off of your, you know, your addictions. You can go to counseling. You can see doctors. You can go to therapy. You do not need Jesus to get off porn. Just go to therapy and get somebody that'll keep you accountable. You don't need Jesus to stop smoking. You don't need Jesus to quit all your bad habits. You just need to learn how to conquer your fleshly addictions and you can do all that without God. So the, the fight that many Christians think are, it's all these little fleshly sins that just keep cropping up. Oh, my anger. I just need to fast to get a hold of my anger. It's not your anger that's the problem. It's that the anger has trumped his wisdom. And so it's his wisdom that's the battle. Because I feel like my anger's the answer. And we say things like I just got to crucify the flesh, meaning don't be angry. No, it's not don't be angry. You can don't be angry just by going to eat Mexican and take a shot of a Diet Coke and calm yourself down. Don't be angry only works when I re-exalt his wisdom to a throne in my life. I don't do that because his wisdom has done something. And so watch what he says. He says, so where's the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? I love this. God has made, and now here comes the sin. If you want to know what the sin has been from day one, it's that God has made the wisdom of the world look foolish. I would say take a picture, but we give you all my slides, but the wisdom of the world is the sin. It's what he came to destroy. It's what he tried to destroy in the beginning. Hey, look, don't eat that fruit, okay? Just don't eat it. Don't eat the fruit. Now, once you understand this, and I'm going to take you there tonight, you will start realizing that every one of Jesus' sermons suddenly start making perfect sense. Why does he say the things he says? It's because the wisdom of this world How could Jesus be relevant 2,000 years ago to today? We don't have any verses on transgenderism in the Bible. We don't have any verses on don't go to strip clubs and nightclubs. Any verses don't go to Vegas. I mean, there's nothing that really touches the world. Don't get on internet porn. There was no internet then because God knew that was not the problem. The problem is not what does culture do in our sinful behavior. The problem is the wisdom of the world because it travels through time along with God and it sets itself up as the prevailing problem of why every sin abounds. So I have to touch this. I have to touch the wisdom of the world. That's the thing I must destroy If I can destroy that, and here's the interesting thing, then every sin of my life has no hold on me anymore. My opinion, I I say that lightly, but I feel like it's worthy of saying. My opinion is the moment you understand to hate the wisdom of the world is the moment you begin to conquer detrimental habits and sinful behavior. When sinful behavior rules constantly in a Christian, it's not just weak flesh. Again, you could go to the gym for weak flesh. You could hire a life coach for weak flesh. You could do a nutritional plan for weak flesh. But the thing I cannot do with a life coach is destroy the wisdom of the world. It has to be destroyed. Meaning... Once we start talking about it, it's going to be taboo. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. Watch this first. First Corinthians chapter 121. Here it comes. This is where it gets really fun. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, which is what they tried to do. This takes me all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Eve wanted to know the wisdom of God and know him it's what she said I just want to be like him I just want to know good and evil and through her own wisdom she wanted to know a level of God that could never be known there's something about the mystery of God you will never know all there is to know about him it's mysterious he, he's all faceted wisdom. It's multifaceted you you can dig for 20 years and go I've exhausted it And then wake up the next morning and go god. I've never seen that Anybody ever done that in your bible? Like I've read that a thousand times. How did I? Oh lord. Gee, I, how did I miss that? Because human wisdom can never know the wisdom of God fully, but they wanted to so if I, can le- if I could deposit you there, I would end the whole teaching, and this is just the intro, with the war for sinful behavior is, is a wisdom problem, not a flesh problem. It's a human being thinking God knows more than me and he's always right. And he doesn't care how I feel and he's not up for my debate or opinion He simply wants my obedience. And oh my, you find a human being and one thing we love to do is debate with God. We love to give him our opinion. We love to let him know how we think and feel. But from the beginning of time, he's always landed on, if I want one thing out of you humans to know about my government, once I give you my wisdom, it's taboo. Don't touch it, just obey it. But if you do, and you will seek my wisdom first, my government authority in your life, I will add everything that you could ever possibly want as a human. I will add all things to you, Matthew six thirty three. So we even say, oh, the Bible says seek first the kingdom. All right, before we get too happy with that, let's break it down. Seek first the kingdom of God first. All right, I got to put it in priority. What is the kingdom of God? It's his government. All right, what is his government? It's his wisdom. All right, what is his wisdom? It's so holy that it's taboo. So in other words, seek first that wisdom of God that once you know it, you will never touch it again or play with it. You'll just simply obey it. Amen. Let's take tithing, for example. I have a revelation of tithing. Oh, God, man, what such wisdom, such wisdom of tithing to give. But then all of a sudden, a month later, oh, it's tight. Huh? Whew, it's tight. Okay, God, here is a deal. All right, I'm going to take some of my tithe to pay my house, but I'll give it back. I'll give, I'll do that. I'll, I'll, like I start playing with wisdom. Like I know the Bible says, don't hold a grudge, but do you know what they did to me? And so the challenge of all humans, and this is my thinking, is the reason a lot of people are spirit filled Bible believing Christians, but live very frustrated lives is they never know how to conquer the disease of human wisdom here. I kind of went here Sunday, but I'll throw it again to you and let you think about it. My sincere belief is that the internet is the new tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's the thing that says, come to me for everything you need. I'll fix your problems. I'll show you the way. I'll give you all the knowledge you need. And it tempts us. And I'm not against human wisdom, But know this, just to help you feel better, he came to destroy it, not buddy up with it. He came to annihilate it. So I'm all for pedophilia's terrible, murder's terrible, adultery's terrible. This sits on the throne of all of it. All of it sits on human wisdom. Every bit of it, we will justify it. We will tolerate it, whatever we need to do. And here's where it starts getting interesting about kingdom government. The wisdom of God, here's the thought, was considered taboo. Here's where it gets interesting. The wisdom of God was considered taboo because what we discover in time, remember time, Genesis 3, we really don't understand it. It's a prophecy. It's a seed. Her her seed will crush his head. It's a prophecy. There's no name to it. There was no prophecy going, his name will be Jesus. His name will be Emmanuel. There was no Isaiah. The people in darkness have seen a great light. There were were no prophetic words at all. It was just a very blanket statement that her seed out of her womb is going to crush that serpent's head. Very abstract. Very non. Nonchalant, like when next week, no time frame to it, just a prophetic word, Genesis three fifteen. But what we find out of why God's wisdom is so taboo, why you never touch it, why you never question it, is because His wisdom is not just how He thinks. His wisdom is Christ. So I'll read it again. The wisdom of God was considered taboo because what we discover in time from Genesis all the way to Corinthians, we're about to pick up. What we discover from the book of Genesis 3 all the way to what Paul will give us revelation in Corinthians is that the reason his wisdom was to never be questioned and touched is because that wisdom was Christ. It's why when you go back and say, well, why would God tell Moses he can't come in just because he hit a rock? I mean, I've disobeyed before. I actually kicked the dog by mistake one time. I mean, come on, we all make mistakes. But it wasn't that, that uh, Moses made a mistake. It's that Moses touched something taboo. And the taboo thing was, I need you to speak to it. And he goes, thanks, but I'm a little ticked, spank, spank. And God's like, yo, bro, no. Because you struck it, you're not even getting in. That way, if I was a reasoning animal, I would say, what are you talking about? I've been 40 years with this motley crew of sorry people. I brought them out of Egypt. I said goodbye to my family. I've lived out here in this blooming desert, living off the same food. Come on, somebody, if it's Mexican, I'd have been all right, but it wasn't. (laughs) The same food for 40 years, and you're not blooming, going to let me go? Well, it's not that you struck the rock out of anger. It's that you considered my wisdom, which was taboo, as futile because the rock you struck was Christ. Yes, right. Now that's weird. So, so if I go theological, so the rock was Jesus? Is that what you're saying? The rock was Jesus? Because that's the way it reads. That rock was Christ. Right. So was, is Jesus a rock? That's really weird. But what you begin to find out is God's wisdom, his word is Jesus in the flesh. Amen. So to touch his word is to touch Christ. To strike his wisdom is to strike the sun. And you're going to pay a high price when you have taboo to my wisdom. Amen. You will pay a high price. Yeah, oh, I'll let you get by with fleshly things. I'll let you get by with murdering a, a woman's husband because you got her pregnant and slept with her. But when you touch my wisdom and you disdain my wisdom, you will pay a high price. I told you, do not take anything out of Jericho. Bring me the dude that took something because he, his family, and his children, and everybody related to him is going to be sucked up in the earth, and nobody be mad at me because you've touched my wisdom. Like, that's all those weird stories in the Old Testament. Like, Man, God seems mad. No, he's not mad. He's not bipolar. He's teaching us that his wisdom is taboo. You don't touch it once he states it. You you, you don't don't touch that stuff. I'm not saying every single time because what we find out is repentance is a great way to stave off the consequences of trusting human wisdom. You say, is there any hope to my stupidity? Yes. (laughs) Repent don't repent of smoking. I've been smoking. I just want to repent of smoking. I've had so many people in 40 years of preaching, repent. I'm smoking. I'm drinking too much. And I'm like, great, great. Leave the alcohol. One dude came up and left his weed. I've been smoking weed. He's dumped it out. So I got a whole bunch of weed. What am I going to do with that? I'd go sell it and pay off the building. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But but it's, it wasn't, hey, let me come up and dump it out. That's great. It feels good in the moment. It's revival services. We all clap. But when you go out the door, if you've never crucified human wisdom, in about two weeks, you're going to be looking, Could I get my weed back? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then we go, well, they're just an addict or, well, they're just, adored. it's just so powerful. I had a bad day because it's human wisdom that becomes the battle. Why is this so powerful? Because God's wisdom is Christ. Look at what Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 1. So we preach that Christ was crucified, verse 23. The Jews are offended. That sounds like modern day America. And the Gentiles just say it's all nonsense. So Paul now enlightens me that the reason the wisdom of God is such a battle is because to human wisdom it's just stupid. Why would I give if I'm broke? That's stupid. You give after you get out of debt. You give after you pay. Yes, human wisdom, don't give God a dime or anybody else till you pay your credit card. You need to pay your credit card. But godly wisdom is you can give yourself out of debt. But godly wisdom is also... Give all you want to to get out of debt. But if you're still living in human wisdom, spending out of lust, spending more than you have, then human wisdom is still your problem, even though you're trying to give more. So what you're trying to do is outgive human wisdom. Rather than just going, God, I got to repent of human wisdom. Well, what is it? I spend too much. I overspend. I'm addicted to credit cards. I can't manage my money. So I'm going to repent of that. And I'm no better, but I'm repenting of that. Now I'm going to start giving. And what happens? Oh, here it comes. Because there's a lot of givers that are still broke. Because they're obeying God to give, but they've never crucified human wisdom they so still have got 45 credit cards and spending more than they make and all, you understand what I'm saying there? Yeah. So what I have to do is say, well, I need to be careful because God's wisdom will feel like nonsense. But here's what I know. I've been broke and you literally can give your way out of it yeah. Yeah. because God says give and it will be given back to you. A good measure. Press down shaking together and running over. Right? I got three amens. All right. But here's the thing this week, just transparent. Robin texted me and said, Hey, there's a family that goes to Stella school. The husband lost the job and everybody's got prom. Would you and I want to pitch in to help with some cost? And, and I texted back. Yeah, I will. I'll give $200 to help them. So I Venmo $200. Absolute truth absolute truth. Less than 15 minutes later, somebody that doesn't even live in this state slid back up in my Venmo and said, I just felt like I was supposed to bless you. I got a hundred dollars back. Right? In less than 10 minutes, I just felt like I was supposed to bless you. I was like, yeah, I guess because I felt like I was supposed to bless them. Well, to worldly people, that seems like nonsense or luck or But watch what he says, verse 24. But to those that are called to God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, here it comes. This is the battle. Christ is the power of God, but he's also the wisdom of God. All right, watch, because this is interesting. Pentecostal people love his power. I want him to blow me away. I want him to heal me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I want him to heal my blood pressure and my overweightness and my bad knees. Great, he can. He is the power of God. But you can never separate his power from his wisdom. It's one and one. So what I try to tell people, if you're not getting the power manifested, start asking the wisdom. God is there something I need to do something I need to repent of is there a habit that needs to die in me because I keep going back for prayer and I'm not seeing the power but maybe it's because I'm still in my own human wisdom here. So show me what to do. Now Christ is the power of God. We love those stories and he's the wisdom of God but the watch the wisdom of God is nonsense. I love his power. But, you, but his power and wisdom are going to go together right. hand in hand. And I, I love to say if you really want to find a healthy spirit-filled church, find one that focuses on the power of God just as much the wisdom of God. Amen. Hand in hand. I'll give you a quick story. Years ago, I was preaching a sermon and we had an altar call and a lady came up. I did not know her. Laying hands on her. She fell down on the ground. Some people were over ministering to her and I just was praying for everybody else. And all of a sudden she starts moaning and yelling and whining like a kitty cat and jerking around. And I'm still trying to pray for people. And I look over and I see it going on. Now, I've been in Pentecost long enough to know I've got several options. Option one, I wish she'd have never come to this church. option two demon showed up in my church get that demon out option three maybe they let her do this in her own church she wants to do it here option four she's crazy like those are just what's running through my mind as she's getting louder and louder and now everybody that's Pentecostal, I guess everybody's freaking out. I'm kind of like, oh man, I just want to pray for people. So I simply just stop praying. I walk back over, don't know her, never met her. She's arriving around on the floor, crying, screaming, kind of, you know, howling. And I simply lean down with the wisdom of God. I said, ma'am, we don't do that here. Stop it. And instantaneously just stopped. Instantaneous, just. I said, pick her up and take her back to the office. I'll talk to her later. The, whether it was the devil, whether it was her flesh, when the wisdom of God is spoken, the enemy can do nothing. Nothing nothing he can fake the power but it's hard for him to fake the wisdom that's my thinking here's a scripture Romans 5 6 and this will show you what I mean for when we were utterly helpless anybody been there good the whole room Christ came at just the right time there's the wisdom so here's all my words here is Christ, the wisdom and the power. Here's the word timing. He comes right in the time of humans when we're utterly helpless. And then he said he died and then he labels us as sinners. And again, remember, the moment we say us sinners, we immediately get the list. Oh, man, you should have known me back when. Woo. Woo. Man, if you would have known me, which is true. But remember, that's not the battle. The battle is whatever, if you would have known me, should be this. Man, I was in my own wisdom. Totally giving the middle finger to God's wisdom and my life was a wreck. And so the battle becomes wisdom. But I love, watch this. If you're a sinner that's a drunk, are you utterly helpless? Nope. You don't even need Jesus. I can just send you to rehab to the Blake house and the Blake house can give you hope and help you come off alcohol. Are you addicted to porn? That's a sinful problem. Are you utterly helpless? No, I can send you to several counseling places that can help you stop porn. Whatever habit you have, I can help you. So when we say utterly helpless, we must have to answer Then What is it about humans that is utterly helpless? Meaning the only solution would be Jesus. So let's not think that the sins are utterly helpless. We can fix some of those. We can stop overeating and gossiping on our own. Read the right book. But utterly helpless must mean there is a problem that only Christ can solve. And it's the problem of rejected wisdom. He's going to die for it. It looks foolish. It's the wisdom of God pitted against the wisdom of men. And when you're in the wisdom of a human, you are utterly helpless. I cannot help you when you rely on your own wisdom. You're utterly helpless. Here's what it means. It means to be weak. It means to be infirmed. It means to be feeble. It means to be impotent. And it means to be sick. Now, you see Jesus fixing all that in the New Testament, right? We see him help weak people, infirmed people, people at the pool of Siloam, people with crippled feet, dead people. He he touches them all, but here's the funny thing He touches them all with power. The one with the issue of blood, he said, Ooh, I felt, he didn't say, I felt wisdom go out of me. He said, I felt power go out of me, virtue left me. Now, he is the wisdom, but it was the power that fixed all these broken things. But the thing that's going to fix the real thing that is the thing that is the problem of all things was not going to be solved walking down the street touching blind people. It was only going to be served by doing that which was utterly foolish to fix the utterly helpless, and that was to be crucified on a cross. Because that was the wisdom of God. So the power of God fixed all the broken people before the cross ever was. No different than Elijah. No, they even thought he was Elijah. He was doing powerful things. And, but they're like, well, I mean, is he a prophet? Like, like is he Elijah? So here's what we know about Christ in the flesh. He manifested power because he is Christ, the power of God. But the power that he manifested fixed nothing because they all died later. It's fun to read, but blind Bartimaeus is dead today. Lazarus, dead today. All of them that touched his power, dead today. But the moment he was crucified, that was the wisdom of God. And because of the wisdom of God, Lazarus is still alive. Right? Like the wisdom of God trumps everything. So Christ was wisdom when he was walking, but his power touched us. But it was the wisdom that conquered the real problem. Human wisdom is the real problem. You all have abjected yourself from what God wanted. So let's do know this. Many people can touch his power. We go to revival. Oh, I just want to go to revival. I want to know his power. Great. But when you get off the floor, honey, if you don't have his wisdom, no guarantee that your marriage is going to stay fixed. What's going to happen is you're going to have to keep coming back like an addict to the power. Because you don't understand the power was to introduce you to the wisdom because it's the wisdom that will keep you free. This will introduce you to freedom. But power doesn't keep you free. Otherwise, every Pentecostal person that spoke in tongues would be free forever. But it's the wisdom of God. Is that making sense? I don't want to. Say, I'm lost, losing you. Mark 2. When Jesus heard this, it's just to prove the point. When Jesus heard it, he told him, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think, there it is, human wisdom, that they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And truly, it wasn't many of them that even knew they were sinners. Until the handful that he picks, I don't have time to go there tonight. But I want to say again that he came to heal sick people. But the reality of it is he didn't just come to heal sick people. He came for something far greater. This is his power to heal sick. But his wisdom is going to heal the condition of every soul. Now let's pick up. Jesus. We started with Matthew in Matthew with John the Baptist and John the Baptist was repent. Repent of what? Repent of your sins. What sins? That you've rejected the wisdom of God and his wisdom is here now. Now fast forward one chapter. Jesus shows up traveling Matthew 4 23 throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news and what he does. He starts right out. Let's just go ahead and get the subject. It's about the kingdom. The government of God is here. And then it says this and he healed every kind of disease. So now what we know is his power is working. The wisdom is here. And the power is working, but it's the crucifixion where the wisdom is fulfilled and true freedom happens. So there's a lot of people he healed. We don't know much about, but I do want you to see this, that the power is working, but it's the wisdom that is the battle. All right. Here's the thought. The weak, the sick, the impotent and the affirmed were not simply about physical maladies. Jesus healed all of these before his redemptive work on the cross. It would be no different than somebody today coming up and going, "Is it, all right, I'm a healer. So come up and let me pray for you. And through my hands, God is going to heal you. Oral Roberts, different healers that have been. Catherine Kuhlman. There's people alive today that have the literal gift of healing. My dad is one of them. He has a literal gift of healing. My dad can lay hands on sick people and God just miraculously heals them. Maybe their faith, maybe not, but God gifted him for that. Every time I feel something sick, i walk up to him and go, hey, pray for me. Because I know when you do, I'm going to get healed. Amen. And God gifted him. Now, just because dad is gifted to pray for physical maladies that get healed, is he Jesus? No. But he operates in his power. But it's the crucifixion that is the battle. The battle is for the wisdom of God. That's why there will be a lot of people that operate in power and will write books about them and will, but at the end of their life, it, they're a mess. Their marriages are broken. They're, they, they have, a, they're, you literally read about them. God I never knew they were an addict. The Jesus revolution movie. I never knew Lonnie was a gay guy. Yet God was using him with power. Yeah, God was displaying power, using his power to captivate people. But when you don't operate in the wisdom of God, Lonnie keeps the story of his life is he keeps living a sinful life of homosexuality and dies of AIDS. But God still used him in power. But power's not the issue. Wisdom is the issue. Amen. I hope I'm making sense. I know I keep reading over and over because I want to get it in the heart. First Corinthians 1 again. Here's where we go back to our start. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, 1 Corinthians 1 Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then it, verse 25, just blows your mind. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strengths. I mean, think about that a minute. Just just think about everything I've said and now tuck that verse in what I've tried to get you your head to see. The foolishness, the foolishness of the cross was God's plan, but his foolishness is wiser than your brilliance. On God's dumbest day, he's smarter than you. And all he simply asked, get as smart as you want, get the PhDs, the EDDs, the THDs, the DDs, whatever D you need with a period behind your name. Get it on your highest day. I'm still smarter than you. I still know more than you. So humble yourself, Mark, and submit to me, and call unto me, and reach unto me. Asa, go to the Bible. I think it was Asa in the Bible. He he lives his whole life, and at the end of his life, it says he died with a foot disease, because at the end of his life, he never sought God anymore. How many people do we know start out really great with his power? Samson, really great with his power, but he left the wisdom. The wisdom was don't cut your hair, boy, but I love the power. I cut my hair. Once I lose the wisdom, my life is a wreck. So the battle has been about the wisdom of God. First Corinthians 1, 26 and 7. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you, praise God, I guess he knows there's a couple of smart people on the earth. A few of you were wise in the world's eyes. You had the PhDs in the philosophy degrees and debates and scholarly things some of you were very powerful and some of you were very wealthy. So what, what God is letting us know, take this for what it's worth, you can do pretty well without him. You can be wise without him and pretty smart in the world's eyes. You can be pretty powerful. Come on. I got one <laughs> out of that one. Pretty powerful people out there. They shut down an entire world and didn't even ask for your opinion. Forced half the world to get a vaccine, whether they want it or not. Let's not act like there's not powerful people. Sorry, I need to re let back in. <laughs> wealthy people. So he's letting you know you can get wealthy without me, you can be smart without me. But instead, God chose the things of the world, the things the world considers foolish to shame those who think they really are smart and wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who think they have power. Wisdom and power. I use both of them to shame all of you. And I used the weakest thing because what I did not do I didn't come and blow you away with my magic I came and died for you because it was the weakest thing I could do in humanity But the weakest thing in your eyes was the most powerful thing that could be done because I destroyed the wisdom of humans And that was a problem from the beginning of time So God verse 28 of first Corinthians God chose the despised by the world The things that were thought to be nothing at all and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important And as a result, no one can ever, here's where it just, man, so deep, makes your head hurt. And as a result, nobody can ever boast in my presence. Now, the moment I put it in pink, the moment it says, nobody can ever boast in my presence, the thing you should do in your brain is go back to the first one that tried to do it. Who would it be? Eve. The first human that would ever do it is going to be Eve. If I backtrack to kingdom government, the first being that ever tried it was Lucifer who becomes the father of it all, who his statement will probably go here later, but not tonight. His own title is the father of all lies. All right. But let's take the phrase boast in the presence of God. It takes me back and I'll finish here shortly. It takes me back to the first story of a human that snubbed the wisdom of God. The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say, you must not eat of the fruit of any trees of the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. The word fruitish, I love it. The devil's pretty brilliant. Lucifer, the serpent's pretty brilliant. The word shrewd means subtle, crafty, sly, sensible, and prudent. In other words, everything that is antithetical to God that God calls nonsense and foolish in your own mind will seem prudent hey look we love each other we're living together right now we're going to get married and yes we're having sex but we love each other and we're saving money because we live together i'm like great that is brilliant that's brilliant. You're saving money. You're having sex, but you love each other. You're just not married yet. That's okay. Hey, look, don't worry about it because in your wisdom, you're brilliant. Just know this. According to the wisdom of God, you're foolish because his wisdom says, I don't care if you're saving money. You don't shack up and have sex until you're in a covenant relationship of marriage, Right? We can fight that all day long. but that is... So what we need to know the way it first started is that human wisdom doesn't feel foolish. It feels brilliant. My thinking feels smart. I mean, that pastor hurt me. I'm leaving the church and going elsewhere. Great, I would too. You should leave the church and go elsewhere. But the wisdom of God, if he did not release you, You need to shut your pie hole and repent and forgive them and sit there until God lets you leave. Sensible and prudent it feels, but it's still sin. All right. It's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, Eve said in verse 3, that we're not allowed to eat. God said, there's his wisdom. You must not eat it or touch it if you do. Here's where it gets really fun. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. That's wisdom. There is the wisdom of God, not the power of God, the wisdom of God. Eat it, you die. Lucifer inserts prudence. You won't die. Now that's a lie, a bold-faced lie, but he inserts it in a very sensible way. You won't die. God knows. Connects her right back to the heart of God. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat. And he plays on her prudence and sensibility. You really know you want to be like him anyway. So if you do this, you'll be just like him. You'll be like God. And then the word right here, here comes human wisdom. You ever want to know what the first sin was and the first temptation? It wasn't that the fruit was just wonderfully well. It tells you what she wanted. But the real thing is, it's this thing of knowing. I want to be in charge of wisdom." And that was so powerful of a pull that she eats the fruit. So the woman was convinced. What convinced her? The pull to know convinced her. The pull to be in the driver's seat. The pull to make the decisions for myself. The pull to do what's sensible and right and not so foolish. I mean, after all, it is foolish every other tree but that one. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious. And then the beauty of this. And she wanted the wisdom. She wanted the wisdom. It would give her, so she took some of it, and in the blue, she ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Are you ready? Here's where it gets really fun. We're going to end right here in a few slides. To me, based on Jesus calling to repentance, John the Baptist calling to repent and turn back to God, kingdom government is God calling humans to turn from their own knowledge and return back to his wisdom and power. Why do I need to be in an upper room? Why do I need to go up there before I go in the the streets and preach? Because that's what I told you to do. Well, how long am I going to be there? It doesn't matter. Just stay there. Well, what's it going to be like? Don't worry. When it gets there, you'll know. Well, how will we know if we've never seen it? Here he goes in Matthew 3 again. From then on, Jesus began to preach, return to God. Here he is, Jesus again, Return to God. What is he wanting them to do? Turn back to his wisdom. All of these sins, plural, are a result of a group of people in the very beginning, a woman and a man, that said, I don't care about his wisdom. I want to do what's sensible and prudent. And he calls them back, turn to God. What was turning to God? Coming to him. Come unto me, all ye who are weary. What, what is he inviting them to? Come back to power and wisdom. Do you see that? Jesus saying, Come to me, for my yoke is easy, my brute. He's, he's not Jesus, a human, calling him to believe in a human, he's calling them back to wisdom of God. And if you will see my wisdom and you will come to me, you will find life in me. Now, here's where it gets interesting. This one thought is going to define the four gospels in one sentence. So I'm going to do my best to define the four gospels and the teachings of Jesus in one sentence. Here it is. Kingdom government is eating of the wisdom of God. Go back to the very first sin. It was, it was connected to eating. But she didn't eat. She ate the fruit, and the fruit was, don't eat it. That's the wisdom of God. Now that wisdom, we find out, is Christ. And that that results, when you eat of the wisdom of God, it results in being born of God, which is the onset of being governed by God that culminates in the bearing the fruit of God. So when a human being eats of his wisdom, we are born of God. And when we're born of God, we're governed by God. And when we're governed by God, we produce the fruit of God. And this in a nutshell is Jesus Christ calling us unto salvation. This is salvation, but this is the definitive Of Jesus's life this would be his resume he is the wisdom of God he is that which is born of God the son of man he is going to be governed by God and he's going to bear the fruit of God and he's going to call me into it now my belief is every message every story everything flows from one of those four realms let's take the first one so Jesus said I tell you the truth unless you what Eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Why? Because your first problem was eating. You ate the flesh of your own wisdom. Now I'm telling... why? This is weird. He didn't really mean come over and bite a hunk out of his bicep. He meant all the way back to Eve, she ate of her own wisdom. And I'm telling you, if you want life, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood because I am the wisdom of God. And it blew their mind. We can't eat you. But what he was meaning is the problem was eating and we're going to solve the problem with eating. The problem was eating your wisdom. We're going to cop that with you're going to eat me, which is the wisdom of God. And when you do, you will ever have life. So he touches it again because it's all about wisdom. You have heard, here's where it comes in to not only eat the flesh, but it comes into the wisdom of God. He starts his first sermon out over and over and over, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 21. You've heard that our ancestors, what they told you, don't murder, there's all the sins. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment, but here comes the wisdom. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. So in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the Beatitudes, he's leading us to all the things human wisdom has taught you, but God's wisdom has shown up to tell you what he really means. So he's touching wisdom immediately. It goes into this. Now he touches your born. You have to be born of God. Jesus replied in John 3, 3 to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. He's telling us now that it's not just about quit smoking and drinking. You have to be born again. Well, how am I born again? I must trust his wisdom. How do I trust his wisdom? I eat his flesh. Well, what is his flesh? It's Christ. So it all kind of plays out. And the final one, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will. In other words, he even tells you that the way you're going to see it is you have to be governed by God. Don't, just give me, Lord, Lord, he has to govern your life. You have to eat the wisdom. You have to walk in the wisdom. You have to be governed by the wisdom. And then the final one is this. I think we all know this one. Jesus said in Matthew 21, didn't you ever read the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Well, this is the Lord's doing. It's wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that produces proper fruit. He expected fruit. He expected you to be governed. He expected you to walk in his wisdom. And there's a lot of us that are trying to crucify sin and sins of the flesh when the problem is we're living under human wisdom rather than his. And here's the conclusion. If I summed all of it up, I would sum it up with this sentence. kingdom government and this is what's going to take us into the New Testament. Kingdom government is the wisdom of God ruling every aspect of human life. Now, the New Testament Gospels is going to display this beautifully. Because the wisdom of God is Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh, that is going to show us how to do life on planet Earth. He's going to give us an object lesson to watch it play out. You want to know how to do life? Watch me because the wisdom of God is going to play out perfectly for you on planet earth. So if you've ever thought, is there any hope down here? Yup, there's hope. And it is my belief is that what God is attempting to do with his government is to get you to lean into his wisdom. And when you do again, everything changes.